What up? How y'all doing? We are the champions, my friends. We are the champions. That song. Classic. You can always count on Rafi for a good intro song. Swear. Gotta have it, man. You know, like, look, we've been waiting 50 years for me to, like, be able to sing that song. The Bucks are the NBA champions. And that was about two weeks ago. And since they become champions, we are living in a post-racial Milwaukee that we brought okay. everybody together. How's Are your life in this post-racial society post the Bucks winning, Isaiah? How's it been for you? Stressful, to be <laughs> honest with you. It's quite, quite stressful and tiring. Um, but, you know, along that line, though, I, I, I my, you know, my dad was, you know, it's kind of left field, but my dad lives in Florida, so I don't get to see him that often. I talk to him. Uh pretty often but i don't get to see him so he was up this way to see the bucks and uh around that time we were able to you know just get some coffee and such at the milwaukee public market and you know he mentioned a couple of things to me that kind of stick, sticks out along that vein number one well he said that he never thought that he would see the bucks win a championship again in his like in his life number one and number two maybe he should change some of his opinions about what he thinks is possible and not because he also didn't think that he would see a black president in his lifetime and yet it happened. So, so it, 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 I, I think that that conversation, you know, I think that it, you know, the Bucks victory, you know, in addition to all the things we talked about in the last episode, uh, do you guys feel like it has like this generational kind of significance like that to, where different generations of people might it might be significant in different ways yeah or no am i way, reading I too much <laughs> i think it's i think it's great for as a sports fan right like it's always one of the things you hope for when you follow sports is that your team win a championship so we're not one of these big markets who can just pay for free agents to come in and play and win championships in that way so we have to be good at drafting we have to be good at development and luckily this time it worked out for us, but that's just primarily in the context of watching sports. I think this has no impact on the lives of day-to-day working class people in this city at all, right? I mean, the Bucks won two weeks ago and now just a couple of days ago, the eviction moratorium has been lifted, right? Like it did nothing mm-hmm. to change that type of stuff. It did nothing to go out the structure. So I'm always big and not falling in love with the representation you know aspects of it, right? Like Obama is the president, now everything's changed. You know, it, it yeah, was good for right. him as an individual, right? But it had no impact, uh, little to none impact on, you know, uh, communities of color. And um, to be truthful, I mean, folks are probably worse off since 2008 than they were pre 2008. So, mm-hmm. as a sports fan, yeah. it was great to watch. It was great to be a part of the whole process. I took my nieces and nephews down to uh, the celebration the night of, and then I went to the parade, but I'm under no illusion like this changed anything uh, when it comes to dynamics in the city for black and brown folks primarily. 
I agree, you know, 100% Rafi with what you just said. I, I do think that, right, like it's not changing the the, the negative impacts on our day-to-day lives right now, but I would argue like the representation does matter, right? Even though it's not impacting our, our, our current living situations, like, like, I don't know, I think about my nephew, he's 10 and, you know, he got to see a Bucks championship, like in real time right like he's how he's experiencing that like it's a a, it's a normal for him like yeah of course this is my team this is my city we would be highlighted in this positive way right like when I think about um you know the first Latina or LGB common council person in Milwaukee I think that that means something for you know a, a young queer person to be like oh yeah it's normal that you know some of my electeds have this similar background as me so like the long-term effect I think is happening when we see those small teeny tiny impact like um changes right and like in in these structures that have you know primarily been dominated by you know people with lots of money or you know straight white men and you know folks that have these law backgrounds and stuff like that so it does change a little bit like that but I I 100% agree that you know, this Bucks championship didn't change, you know, the racial disparities, the economic disparities that we're seeing in Milwaukee today and tomorrow and, you know, that we're going to see for a while, probably. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of think back to kind of when I first, um, um, moved to Wauwatosa, um, when I was like 15 or so to go to, uh, to start my freshman year in high school there, And I remember a lot of my relatives kind of warning me that, you know, you're going to encounter certain things over there. Certain people feel certain ways, you know, that you're not used to seeing because you grew up in Milwaukee. You you might hear some things that you're not used to hearing from people. And I thought, you know, yeah, sure, but maybe not quite as bad as maybe y'all, maybe y'all experience. I kind of had that shield of naivete. And now... 10 or 12 years later or whatever, I have kind of an absurd amount of personal experiences uh, on a racial or racist kind of lens that are all tied to that kind of community. And one thing that kind of recently happened with Tosa was the Jay Anderson decision, court decision, and the fact that uh, judge a uh, Milwaukee County Leave circuit court let's just say Milwaukee yeah. County judge you know let's just say a judge court. okay you know you know how it is but yeah so that that judge uh Glenn, uh, Glenn Yamahiro he uh found probable cause to appoint a special prosecutor to explore charges against uh former Wauwatosa officer Joseph Mensa who's now a detective at Waukesha County Sheriff's Department he went there as a deputy so he's already gotten a promotion they said they're not going to change his employment status or there, even though he may be charged with criminal with like a negligent homicide with a dangerous weapon. I believe uh, the charges pitched were. Uh, And then that night um, there were uh, just a protest in Wauwatosa um, and the protesters experienced a couple of things. According to them, I wasn't there. Uh, apparently they had some negative interactions with people inside some of these bars in 
I, as a person of color, I'm sure you guys have had an experience where you've gone to maybe an outlying community and you've walked into a bar or walked into a restaurant. You, you're like, okay, I should probably leave right now. You know, like, I don't feel very welcome. There's eyes on me. It was kind of some of those types of bars along the main roads of Tosa. People were coming outside saying different things. Let, apparently someone said that they were flashed uh, by a, by a man. And then, uh, later in the night, a car tried to drive through the uh, drive through the crowd and almost hit someone. And instantly, Tosa PD falls out of the trees in the sky with tactical stuff and their guns and everything, and they're on the protesters. And then the next morning, I receive an email along with all the other media in the area talking about, you know, we're looking at whether or not one of the people associated with the protest may have done something uh may have done something wrong last night it's like uh so you're looking into the possibility of that and you're asking media for video for that and etc but you're not looking into the people who repeatedly drive through the roads nor are you looking into the people who leave racist notes in tosa or leave racist or very questionable comments on your facebook posts uh I've been yeah. talking a minute. I think you know. that I think that that has like the similar effect of what we're talking about with you know the Bucks and like that as if somehow this championship like changed anything really in this city, right? Like this when I think about this judge and his verdict of like a lot, you know, saying that this should be you know investigated. It's like it's a it's a small step, right? Like it's a small step, but it's a necessary first step, right? Like in his sentencing, and I'm getting this mostly from Isaiah's article in the Wisconsin Examiner. So we'll have to make sure that we put a, a link in the description of the show. But he says in there that, or he said in his sentencing that this is a structural problem, right? The way uh, officers, uh, officers are being investigated when, you know, mm-hmm. there's shootings or, you know, fatal shootings, like, how they have just like their, what is it? Like they're just other law enforcement departments are investigating them, right? Like yeah, there's relationships there. Yeah, there's biases there. And like for us to see this judge come up with this verdict and also talk about the structural change that is needed. I mean, that's, I think that's huge for us to hear a judge say that. And then again, you see the reaction too from people who don't like hearing that and just the way they choose to react to that kind of news. And this also goes to why representation isn't enough. <laughs> uh, Justin, this is a black police officer. He's a black police officer who is responsible for the deaths of, what is it, four people, if I'm not mistaken? Three. Right? Three people, three people, right? So you can have a person, and that's why it, I think when we talked about, when we talk about uh, representation, it has to be connected to tangibles. It can't just be, uh, replacing a white face with a, uh, a a face of a person of color it has to be attached to real tangible things and i think for sure hopefully for us as we learn and we grow we realize that representation isn't enough and it doesn't really when you talk about power in that way you need much more than just that you have to be in the room to be able to create these laws and be able to uh get the systems and the structure that actually uh results in a Joseph Mintz of not only being able to be responsible for the death of three people, but also get a job in on Waukesha. Right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important to talk about as well. For sure. Um, it's all the things, right? We don't need just one thing. We need 
all the things. Um, there's so many different factors that contribute to our oppression. So there's a bunch of stuff that's going to con- contribute to us getting out of this. I mean, that's, that's like these, uh, like, what were we talking about before we started? I was mentioning how chief Al- or former Milwaukee chief Alfonso is like being, he's like one of the finalists for another police chief position in Fishburg. Like, they just get to go jump around just like Mensa. You know, he got this job in Waukesha with a recommendation from his, you know, police chief, former police chief Weber, right? Like they just get these recommendations and like glowing reviews. Um, and it doesn't matter that, you know, like Mensa killed three people like that. It's not a factor. It doesn't let that be on our background, right? Applying for positions. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. Absolutely. So, yeah, so right now we have a, another very special guest. Um, we have Tommy Molina um, from uh, Voices de la Frontera, a local immigrant rights uh, activist and organizing group. And we wanted to have Tommy on because, uh, well, obviously we've, we've, we've been talking about a lot about the bucks and also a lot of various issues that impact various communities in Milwaukee and kind of what that, that uh, kind of the weird illusionary boosts in morale and symbolism that have been kind of going on around the bucks, both, you know, legit and just kind of just imagined and just kind of trying to almost imagine that certain issues aren't, real anymore and certain communities don't have to deal with certain things uh and tommy i i I was just kind of curious uh first you know have you heard much about this kind of uh conversation about about the symbolism around the buck championship victory and how it's impacted different communities uh, immigrant communities because of um Giannis being a major character and that and etc yeah, I haven't had too many conversations like on the ground about it, but definitely um, like just what the media has reported. I've read a lot about it. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it yeah. So it, I don't know, it's kind of a kind of an intriguing sphere of conversation to have. But, you know, moving into this kind of next segment about how, how, um, how uh, the uh, immigrant communities and, um, was in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or kind of, you know, how they're living and kind of how they're, uh, they're impacted. Um, in your organizing, uh, Tommy, I was just curious if you could kind of talk about some of your, some of your, you just like yourself and some of your own uh, personal experience organizing in uh, Milwaukee. Absolutely, definitely. I'll, I'll start with uh, myself. And so I think I know everybody here, but um, uh, my name is Tommy Molina. I'm um, I'm organizing with Voices. I was the um, organizer for the Milwaukee chapter. I actually got my start with Citizen Action, which is interesting. But um, my family, you know, the the issues of that Voices fight for are very personal for me because I'm also an immigrant. My family's from Colombia. And so um, the issues that we organize around are, are very personal for me. Um, you know, when I was starting off organizing I was actually only like two or three weeks on the job and I was, um, we got a call about a family who, you know, we, we have a 24 hour landline that uh, families across the state can call if they come in contact with ICE. 
And so um, we'd received a call about a family on the south side that was stopped by ICE and had called for MPD backup. And so myself and one of my coworkers, Primitivo, went on the ground there, filmed the incident. And, um, you know, this ended up being the, the De La Cruz family who, um, who ultimately, you know, the... Jose was taken in front of his two young daughters and uh, led to a long campaign where we were working to change the standard operating code or standard operating procedure with, with MPD and ICE. Um, he was arrested without a warrant. And so that was kind of the basis of it is that we are pushing to create a system where um, a judge's warrant would be required for any collaboration. Um, after a few months, we were really happy that, that we were able to win that. I know, uh, Remember seeing you at all the events, Isaiah, and reporting on that. So um, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and now that's kind of uh, led to some some other things that were going on later in the summer as well, um, and and some of the campaigns we're working on now. Tommy, you said that that happened like right around when you first started organizing. That was the fall of uh, well with with voices. I was organizing um, oh, okay, as okay. I said before that just a little bit before that was citizen action and then um, right and then doing some uh, campaign work and then voices. But it was like the fall of 2019. Yeah, that's um, interesting to me. Like because so I've been organizing since I don't know 2008 or so. But briefly, I had started working with a community center, still like in the nonprofit sector, but I wasn't really focused on, you know, the social justice aspects of, of organizing. Um, and I remember this incident with the uh, De La Cruz family, is that what she said their last mm -hmm. name was? And the, just like how I was, it was so unsettling with me. And it was, it was this like making me think like, man, I really, you know, want to get back to the front lines. Like, I really want to get back to organizing. Like it, it kind of just like enforced my desire to do this work and to be active in our community around, you know, these, this continued oppression that we see, right. Amongst community of colors, indigenous folks, undocumented communities. Um, We'll have to make sure that we get that number to the 24-hour landline um, for folks. We'll make sure that we put it in, in the notes. Um, I think that that's an important resource that I would be willing to bet not a lot of people talk about or know about, right? Um, I think that that's one of the biggest things that we're seeing with our communities. They're struggling. Like Sometimes we have the resources there, but then is that education piece like are we making sure families and people know about them, right? Like not enough of us talk about it, so not of a enough of us know about it definitely and i know even one of the things um as i'm like scrolling trying to find this number um is like the the difficulty was you know it's just like a random cell phone number and we're trying to like um standardize it so it'd be like something much easier to to memorize or give out to the community um but yeah thank you let me ask a question um to kind of circle back to what Isaiah was talking about at the beginning of the segment is this love for Giannis right now and this I guess when I'm trying to get at this class distinction right of who is loved and who is not loved right Giannis is celebrated his story is celebrated but Giannis is also worth 250 million dollars right but the poor working class folks are demonized right and dehumanized can you speak to that in your work where it's this class divide within who is celebrated within the immigrants story and then who is demonized and why is that and what are some of the things that we can do to combat that dehumanization that takes place based on class? Yeah, it's um, 
it's a really unfortunate situation. I think as Joanna was even mentioning, you know, the day after we see what happened with DACA and our communities now back living in fear. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, to not give a long winded answer, I would say that like the basis of a lot of it is just like capitalism. You know, we're going to, um, the system that we're under is always going to favor the rich, the powerful um, systems, whereas in those that are oppressed, um, are going to continue to be that unless they can provide something of value and, and move up. Um, I mean, you even see it like with just culturally people wearing sombreros and drinking tequila shots for Cinco de Mayo, but then saying <laughs> racist things to their neighbor or someone down the street. Um, and so uh, Giannis, you know, as you alluded to, is something that brings value and um even though he's much more than that, you know, um, and he, he should be valued for not just his talent, but just who is who he is as a as a person. And people forget that he was marching in the streets also um, saying Black Lives Matter and, and calling for police accountability. Um, but, you know, they they want to um, they want to just, you know, have the Giannis that is just winning championships for them um, and not the Giannis that is calling for systemic reform. Well, Ayanis, I calls for systemic reform, reminds a lot of people of things they don't really want to acknowledge or think about ever. Well, I was just going to add like that, you know, thinking about what Giannis is worth and like the the boost and maybe boost in economy that we saw around the Bucks finals and stuff like I wish that there was this that same like view towards just our undocumented community in general, right? Like I read in an article that undocumented people contribute nearly 13, like billions, or what was it? It was like 13 million or something like that to our economic growth, right? Uh-huh. Like that's that's a huge, that's a significant amount um, of dollars, right? That undocumented people put into, you know, local ec- economic systems every day. And it's just, it's not treated with any type of respect or value right when I think about Milwaukee yeah I just it's just like that you know what Wafi was saying that um analyzing it in different classes right like looking looking at what is the contributions of this one person and are we going to glorify them or not based off of what they can give I mean when we think about it, back to Giannis right even in Greece um he wasn't awarded citizenship until after he was like looking to be drafted by the NBA, right? Like that's when Greece wanted to be like, oh, bet, let me make sure this, you know, amazing athlete star connects his heritage to our, to our country, to our culture so that we can get that boosted um, energy or, you know, boosted love or morale or whatever it is, right? Like they, they weren't going to do that if he wasn't somebody that had this gift, right? This special talent. And like, it's, that's just, it's bogus. Like, yeah, most definitely. And, and that's the, that's the issue, right? Like what we value in our society, you're right. You're 100% right, Tommy, when you talk about capitalism, because yeah, maybe it's not like, uh, you know, Giannis level when it comes to basketball. But, you know, when this pandemic first uh, happened, we found out very soon who was essential and who was not essential. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. We even redefined what essential was almost. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Giannis and was at home, and it was a majority of our Black and Brown immigrant brothers and sisters and Black and Brown people, period, who had to go out to them jobs 
at the grocery store, had to go to them jobs at uh, daycare facilities and stuff like that. So what we value as a society definitely needs to change or needs to be, <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, overly valued than just, you know, basketball and what basketball can bring to, to society. Yeah, I, I get that. But also we need to start valuing things that goes beyond just sports entertainment, right? We need to value those essential jobs and those essential people in the same way we value Giannis in the Bucks, right? 100%. And um, just to build off of both of that, I mean, we during the pandemic, we saw too that, um, you know, immigrants couldn't tap into the federal relief. And mm. so while, um, while many of us were able to get that stipend, um, undocumented immigrants who were still, you know, doing the jobs in the factories or, you know, being essential workers, didn't receive any of that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was a very unfortunate situation. That was, that was one of our campaigns we were organizing around what as well. What was the impact of uh, those folks being forced underground and not being able to have access to those type of resources? What was the health impact on the community? You know, Tommy? Well, well I mean, as we saw disproportionate numbers dying, um, mm -hmm. but on top of that, just, um, you know, the impact of the lost wages, um, because what we also saw, because we, were, we, we started organizing the factories as well, is that um, many of many undocumented workers didn't have any benefits or um, safety nets in place. And so um, they were fired, even though they had been at the job 25, 30 years. And then, um, you know, there was scare tactics and retaliation if they tried organizing. Um, that's what we saw at the Strauss factory, actually, where, where we mounted that campaign. Also, I'm going to post in the chat. I, I did find the emergency number, so that can be shared. Um, oh, at, at, as I mentioned, um, it's a number that anyone in Wisconsin can call in. Um, oh, yeah, say it out loud for us, um, too, so folks they can listen can hear it, too, as well. Of course. 414-418-9409. You know, and speaking of that emergency number, Tommy, I was just, you know, curious, thinking back to the De La Cruz arrest, um, you know, how often um, would Voices de la Frontera receive calls like that? Um, and how often would they often have to go out or would they even, it seems like a really quick thing that can happen. You know, I, with, with the De La Cruz family, just a little bit more detail that happened right in the morning when they were taking their kids to school or whatnot, like right in the morning, like think about when you were, had to go to school as a kid, that's early. And uh, they showed up there and um, MPD was uh, involved in different ways as well. So I was curious, like how often would you guys kind of see that kind of thing play out in the community? Well, you know, it was actually, it wasn't often enough because I, as we were mentioning earlier, um, that the number is like, it's not an easy number just to memorize. And so the mm -hmm. only reason you can really come in contact with it is if you're given um, we, we had like these cards that we used to give out at events with it and stuff like that. Um, we, we have an, a, we have a staff person assigned to it, but, um, when I had the phone for like a month, I would say people called it like two or three times a week. Hmm. So it was still, it would still get traffic. Um, saying, but, that, um, saying that they are, that ice is and that ice is there or just different stuff. It'd be different stuff. Sometimes it'd be, um, uh, sometimes it would be like, you know, they're, they had a partner that was arrested, um, and he's undocumented and they're afraid, um, mm -hmm. and they're in a, 
you know, they're in a county that um, that collaborates with ICE. Other times it would be like, you know, that these there's a abnormal amount of like officers surrounding a house with a police vest. Because there's also a lot of confusion because ICE, you know, they they announce themselves as police um, and they oftentimes wear jackets with like police on there. And so there's a lot of confusion around that. Um, so it'd be, it'd be things like that usually when, when I had the phone. And then of course, the, the biggest one being the, the De La Cruz call saying that they, you know, that they were surrounded by, by immigration and MPD. And when you got there, what did you see exactly and what happened? Well, there was, I remember, I remember walking up, um, and right away an MPD officer came up to us and said, like, what are you doing here? We said that we were, you know, that we were called by the family and they pretty much said that we couldn't, we couldn't move anymore further. And that's kind of when, um, I was zooming in on what was going on over there. And then you can kind of see that there's a, a verbal altercation going on between the family and officers with eventually, um, you know, uh, Jose stepping out of the vehicle and, and being taken in an MPD card, MPD car. Um, and then, and then we talked to the family and they explained more of the details that, um, you know, that they were surrounded first by ice and that they called for backup while MPD was on the, the scene. They, um, they revoked, uh, or they got a warrant for him. Um, but, w- w- but with these warrants, it was, a um, that was a whole different issue. It was a probation violation for something that happened like three years ago. Mm-hmm. So obviously they were like trying to cover their steps mm-hmm. and uh, they, they knew that they were going to, that this was going to become something uh, big. And then, yeah. So as we started learning more, there was a bunch of holes in their, their story as well. And, um, and we went through the fire and police commission to uh, thankful to be able to get this SOP changed. Yeah, and this happened back in 2019 when a lot of the when the Trump administration was really ramping up on immigration enforcement. There was a lot of fear going on, um, and they ended up sending them to to the Dodge County Detention Center, which doubles as an ICE facility, but it's also just a prison or a jail. I I think it's a it's an incarceration facility that doubles as an ICE facility. Um, and you know, one thing that was kind of nice about the De La Cruz covering that as a journalist was that it actually ended relatively happily, at least last time we left off, uh, probably because of the media pressure, who, who knows, but uh, Jose was released back to his family um, in December of 2019. Um, and I don't quite know what happened to the family after that. I hope that they were able to, you know, live with some sense of peace after that. Yeah, it was, um, it was very difficult. You know, they, they they had to go see uh, trauma counselors for a long time, and then um, they were looking to move out of Milwaukee after mm-hmm. living here their entire lives. They just like um, yeah, the, as I said, the the whole event was so traumatizing to them that they they did not feel like they were they could continue living here. How about you, Tommy? I mean, mental health is so important, right? Uh, we don't talk about it enough as organizers, like the impact the work we do actually have on us mentally, right? We take this work home with us, right? So what has been the impact on you, uh, Tommy, as an individual having to see and go through these uh, incidents with people on the ground? Like how have you dealt with it? And yeah, just, if you could speak to that. 
Yeah, and I think, yeah, as organizers, definitely we, we carry a lot of that with us all the time. You know, I've, I've been fortunate that, um, that in, in general, um, we can take off the time when we're needed, when needed, um, after dealing with some of these events. And also just like leaning on in the organizer community, um, being able to like talk to others about what helps them and um, knowing when I do have to step back because, um, you know, as we all know, you can't pour from an empty cup. And so um, there, there have been times after like certain events and um, situations where I'm like, I, I can't do any organizing for until I'm like better. And so um but I know for everyone, it's different as well. Um, yeah. Those are two solid things, right? Like making sure that we're creating space and like community with one another, right? Like this community that's working on these social justice issues is small. Um, and I think it's so important that we're like leaning on one, one another to just to be around each other, right? Like you've not with some packed agenda about how we can, you know, build a movement, but like just real check-ins on our, on our health and, and what we're doing. And then also like taking time off. I think mm-hmm. that there's a sense of guilt when we take time off, right? Like, cause we know that the work doesn't stop, right? We're just going to come, come back to a, a whole bunch of stuff that we, that wasn't even there before we left, but like, it's so necessary to just take a step back and like really unplug and, and just focus on you. Um, and I don't think we do that enough. Or like Rafi was saying, we don't, we definitely ain't talking about it enough. Um, I'm glad that you, that you mentioned that though, Tommy, to, to just spark this, even if we just talk about it for a second, but like the, the trauma that that family has, right? Like even there is no like walking away from this situation and it's all good, right? Like it's long lasting, like the impact that those, that those young children have now of, right? Like that relationship with law enforcement or with ICE is now like in that negative relationship is like ingrained in them, right? Like this is how they see this, right? And, and it's like, we go back to how they're supposed to be representative of, of like public safety, right? And just how there is just a lack of collective understanding or definition of what like public safety even means to, to think that these folks are the ones that are responsible for that is, it's like a nightmare. It's like horrifying, Definitely. And we even know beyond um, the La Cruz family, you know, just with the immigrant community in general, um, you know, they're not going to, or what we were always saying when we were asking to, to change the policy is like, how will anybody who is undocumented feel like they can call the police if they do see a crime being committed um, or they can trust the police? Um, because at the end of the day, if there is that collaboration, then there's always going to be that fear. And so, um, yeah, the, this this was definitely something that impacted all the South Side and all the immigrant community. Um, and yeah, I, w- I was glad they were able to get the change, but obviously that trauma is going to live with that family forever. I know just a few conversations I had with them afterwards, the girls were, because um, he had three young daughters, were um, still having nightmares. Um, like every time they would drive by a police officer, they would like hide. Um, it, it was a really, it's a really awful situation. Yeah, it's it's one that people who are not the ones, you know, directly impacted by a lot of these issues or they may not be the targets. A lot of this kind of enforcement, whether we're talking about ICE or stop and frisk or whatever it is, um, over policing uh, communities does have um, a noticeable uh, and just common sense kind of 
after effect. Um, and one thing I've realized growing up in Milwaukee, one of the most segregated places in our country, is that when you close people off from each other like that, um, suburbs over here and everyone else over there, and then we break it off accordingly, um, you isolate people not only within their own experiences, but you cut them off from the experiences of others. So it's hard to for people to imagine how traumatic that is in the many layers. Um, and even as a journalist, um, covering that story and covering other stories, you know, you're kind of an outsider looking in and a, a strange kind of bystander, but you also see it. And, you know, one, you know, like it, it you, you, it, it's, it's strange to have not only your father taken from you like that in surprise in the morning, not even at night, you know, it's like seeing a ghost in the daytime or something like it completely just violates everything. Broad daylight. This happens. No one can stop it. And then you have to talk to all the press. And then a lot of the press are not particularly uh, sympathetic. Like I remember that I waited at least a couple of months to really even talk to the De La Cruz family. I had approached them and introduced myself and given them my card, but I didn't just corner them and bombard them. Uh, which is what a lot of press were doing because they just see a story. They don't see the fact that this is a human being. Um, there's all the legal pressures and all the things that actually go on. And then there's a lot of tertiary stuff too. There's, you know, um, I, I taught interviewing the De La Cruz family. I know that uh, they were visited by someone from internal affairs asking questions for some reason. And, um, they started to notice things with their internet and stuff like that. And they're calling the company, like these things happen and they're real. And it's strange. It's one thing to have the trauma of having your father taken from you. And now you're noticing things with your phone or whatever. It's very, very, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, a unique kind of, um, multi-layer trauma. It's, important for people in the community to kind of understand that um, the, these things don't happen in a vacuum. Tommy, what's uh, what would you say around like, just like folks getting involved, right? Like, I think that it's important that we're making sure that we're offering these opportunities for people to get in, in touch with like local organizations and, you know, just to find their own like way of activism. If you could like share some, I don't know, the what's the biggest campaign that y'all are working on right now at Volstis and like how people can get tap in and, um, you know, do what they can. Yeah, we were, um, you know, last month we finished a nine day March from Milwaukee to Madison calling for uh, a pathway to citizenship. Um, this is obviously something that go through Congress. And so, um, that was what we were hoping to be included in uh, the infrastructure bill that they're doing right now on a state level. It's the driver's license campaign. Um, to get driver's licenses from undocumented immigrants, that is uh, was working its way through the budget process. Um, unfortunately, we did see that the Republicans cut it out of the budget again. Um, I would say, you know, everybody has different capacity. There's the organizing on the ground. There's helping out with, um, you know, we do English classes. There's helping out with the citizenship classes. I would say to, um, if you want to get plugged in, call the the VOSA's main office and say what you're interested in. That number is 414-643-1620. Um, because yeah, everybody, everybody has different strengths and um, you know, there, there's always ways to get plugged in and, and whatever's of interest to you. 
Let me ask a, a question that's been on my bird around this for a while. You know, um, the powerful in this country has been using this method for a long time and it's one of the most effective methods is to divide and conquer, right? And I, in my uh, conversation with folks and just being around on the issue of immigration has probably been one of the most effective ways to keep solidarity, right? And suppress a movement. They had done a good job of not just demonizing it as a, a Latinx issue, but like those Latinx folks or those folks are coming for your job, all that BS that goes out there. And then they call them aliens. Yep, exactly, exactly. And I know this is, I think everybody on this uh, in this conversation understands that immigration is a lot bigger and a lot more impactful than just on our Latinx brothers and sisters. So could you speak to that first, the divide that is trying to be created, make it amongst working class people of color, just people period, but also some of the things and some of the ways that people are creating solidarity across those color barriers, those uh, barriers across uh, race, class and everything to really get and build this uh, immigration movement. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that, you know, um, a lot of the, there's definitely real concerns among the working class of, um, you know, wages not increasing, um, you know, not having um, good benefits, um, you know, standard of living for younger generations can be a lot worse for um, people who are now tapping into their retirement. And so all those things are really fear are, are really real, but um, there, there is that opportunity to use real problems and turn them towards people that um, have nothing to do with that. And, um, you know, that kind of goes back to just living under a capitalistic system. And so with that opportunity, there is, you can turn that towards immigrants and people who um, look different than you or pray different than you, um, or, you know, may not have come from the same background of you. As not you. to interrupt you, but that's punching down, right? That's what, that's right. what they do. It's punching down, right? Like you, you praise Donald Trump, the guy who actually shipped your job overseas, but you, you're mad right. at the person come and take advantage and support their family who America is past put them in a position that even have to travel from their motherland to seek work, right? right? Yeah. My fault for interrupting. Go ahead. Donald. No, you're good. Um, yeah. And so, but, but some of those issues are very, very real, which I can understand of, you know, people feeling like they're working longer hours, but not being able to provide for their family. Of course, we know that that isn't the fault of the immigrant who is just moved in down the street. Um, but but there, politicians have always been able to tap into xenophobia um, in, in general. Um, I think that the way to always fight that back is, as you mentioned, with solidarity. And so um, I think like, you know, organizing with the labor movement has always been strong, uh, coalition organizing, um, I think those are the ways that we can always punch back, per se, um, if we build solidarity among all these groups. And, um, you know, that involves education as well. All that can, in my opinion, is even stronger um, if, if done correctly. Where, uh, where do you, uh, where does the uh, immigration enforcement issue kind of stand in Milwaukee uh, right now just because it kind of fell off because you know the deal uh jose was released in december 2019 and then the world kind of blew up in everyone's faces after that 
with the pandemic and et cetera. We've had a lot of changes in department leadership and et cetera, um, even in the Fire and Police Commission. So um, from your perspective, where does it stand right now in the city? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, right after that, the big campaign I remember working on was, um, you know, we were working to try to get Morales gone. And then the Black Lives Matter movement was huge that summer, obviously. And so we were involved with that. Um, you know, we we were really um, optimistic about Chief Norman. You know, the conversations that I had with him, he had told me that, you know, there was going to be no cooperation, that SOP 130 was going to be followed very strictly um, and that he wanted to try to build back um, from, from where we were under Morales. And so... Um, but now with all this kind of up in the air about who exactly is going to be a new leader, I'd have to wait to see before I'd want to like say where we are at until I know who's actually leading the department. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as at the county, um, we've, you know, they, they do not, they don't, they don't honor the, the ice restraints or uh, the, the ice holds um, under Sheriff Lucas. And so um, yeah, mo- most of our focus has usually been w- within the city police. Mm-hmm. Probably explains a little bit why they took Jose all the way out to Dodge too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I know we're about to wrap up and thank you, Tommy, for your time and your dedication to work that you're doing and how you, uh, you show up for your people. And that's so important in what we do. So I want to thank you for that. But before you go, I do want to ask you, you know, uh, I think it's so important for us to leave people with steps that they can do, right? Like some ways I can get involved if I really give a damn, right? And everybody should give a damn about this issue. So can you give people some directions of how they can get involved and how they can build? And that's how I dare you talked about. And yeah, just how can we connect and how can we make this movement stronger than what it is right now? Thank you, definitely. And um and thank you all for the time and space as well. It's always nice connecting with, with you all. Um, as, as I mentioned, you know, I, I always get asked that because, uh, you know, people in general just want to do things. And like, I know that everybody's, not everybody wants to be on, like marching. Some people want to be helping out, you know, um, in other ways. And so the best way is actually just to like find your own interest and, and reach out to the office so that they can plug you in in the best way. Um, also like we're very active on Facebook, so you can just message that way if you prefer as well. Um, and we'll have like a local organizer come in contact with you, whether that's here in Milwaukee, Racine, Madison, wherever it may be, we'll get you plugged in. Um, and so that number was 414-643-1620. And, uh, we'll make sure that, that we get you straight. Yeah, I know Voices has a lot of layers to um, youth empowered in the struggle and et cetera. So there's a lot of options. And Voices is statewide, right, Tommy? Right. Statewide in Wisconsin. Right. And so there's, um, it's statewide, but we have offices in in Racine, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Waukesha, and Madison. Um, And so wherever you're at, we'll, we have a, we have a place for you. And shout out to my boy Fabi over there at Voices too, you know. Uh, I think he's a political director over there, right? Yeah, he's a political director and um, county supervisor in, in Racine as well. 
and a, and, a, and a former comedian. He's a bad boy. So shout out Bobby if you're listening. He's still a part-time comedian at the office. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. That's, his, uh, that's the episode, y'all. This is not that. Thank y'all for your time. And we'll see y'all in a couple weeks. Bye-bye-bye. Peace, y'all. See you in a couple weeks. What up?